thank you so much for listening to another episode of CX Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Brady Chisana. Tune in each week as we listen to amazing customer-focused business leaders from across the world sharing their personal stories about their teams, tools, process, and feedback. Check us out at cxchronicles.com today or listen on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hey guys, are you looking for ways that you can improve your company's customer experience, customer success, and revenue operations? Then reach out to CX Chronicles. We created CXE after years of being practitioners ourselves, experiencing firsthand the challenges and opportunities of building and managing CXCS revenue operations team from the ground up at a scaling organization. Why work with CX Chronicles? Number one, you get executive level expertise and credibility from day one. We jump in and ramp up as quickly as you need us. Number two, you get actionable CTAs that will maximize your CX and CS ROI. We investigate and audit the economics of your existing CX and CS structure and determine how it can be optimized. And number three, check out our amazing CX and CS focused SaaS partners. We're working with Salesforce, HubSpot, Sturdy, Zendesk, Customer, Help Scout, Churn Zero, Freshworks, and more. Reach out to CXE today, guys. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. I'm super excited for today's guest, Agnes Spona. Agnes, uh, say hello to the CX Nation. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited uh, to talk to you and to your audience. Absolutely. I was joking with Agnes guys saying, what could go wrong? It's literally two CX nerds talking CX, but Agnes has got an awesome story and she is building a super cool company. So, so uh, joining us today from, 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 from Amsterdam, her company's called made for right. And, and, and Agnes today is going to share her customer focused business leader journey, but she's got a, a ton of awesome ideas around designing and delivering learning experiences and how that relates to building incredible customer experiences and customer success cases. So I'm excited. Agnes, why don't you take take over the microphone, set, take a couple minutes and set the stage. How did you, how'd you get into this whole world, number one? And then how did you kind of figure out how to start building Made4 and building the Made4 team to start doing some of this incredible learning design for some awesome companies that you guys are working with today? Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is mainly in digital product uh, management. So uh, coming from um like working in a waterfall product management uh, approach still started off and then moved to agile of course etc did that approximately in 10 years in large corporates in telco and building materials organizations so quite traditional businesses very large uh, businesses and uh, yeah originally fell in love with digital and technology through ux writing uh, that was kind of bridge between my formal education in uh, journalism and PR uh, and with technology. And that's how I kind of step-by-step moved into that. And um, when uh, I met my business partner, Niall Lavery from uh, Belfast, uh, we kind of came together. He came from customer experience, like more like a big four consultancy firms, uh, with more kind of a formal customer experience view. And I came from product view. And plus, I always been very, very passionate about education, worked in a couple of universities as well. Um, and so we were like, okay, what, what makes sense? How we what how we can work together and what would make the CX world a bit better? 
and what he was saying that um, the challenge often with consultancy businesses is that you, for example, put professional in to the client site and they work together well and everything is going well. But at one point you want to take away that dependency. You don't want that uh, consultants sit there forever. That's like uh, almost a just uh, an um, extra team that is added to the client's uh, team. And thinking about our customers, customer experience with us and as a consultants, uh, we wanted to make sure that that dependency is, uh, is limited as or or reduced. And then the learning comes in, right? So you need to upgrade the capability of internal teams to make sure that they actually can run any CX work that they need to run or anything that has been set up independently and autonomously. So that's where basically idea of made for came uh, in place. And that's how we kind of formed the whole market proposition for it. So we, we want to make sure that our consultants can leave customers. Maybe it's not very... <laughs> Commercially smart. <laughs> finally, finally get out of there at some point. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I, 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 I love yeah. that. I, I mean, I guess a couple of thoughts right, right, right out of the gates is just like number one, you're right. There's like, there's so many companies that are actually interested in investing in customer experience optimization, customer success optimization, user experience, or user design optimization. And you're right. Where when it comes time to kind of thinking about which expert or which consultant or which agency is going to be able to come in and kind of help us you know, hit our stride or just fan the flames, whatever you're trying to do. So a lot of these companies already got some pretty decent stuff started. They just need an additional support. They need additional knowledge. And I love where you immediately start bringing in this notion with made of like, you know, you guys are helping organizations close um, the skills gap through learning. And the reality is, let's call it what this is. Nobody is very vocal about this, but like very few companies across the planet are, are, are exceptional at taking the time, uh, creating the budget and then creating the the delivery to make sure that their employee experience and their employee base is constantly being educated and supported and coached and like from a performance management perspective, you know, continuously invested in, right? And it's funny because when you think about like sports and things like that, or you think about like movies and, and music, like the best bands in the world definitely go to the best studios with the best producers, the best, the best sporting teams in the world definitely have the best trainers and the best managers and coaches. And then you think about like, like, like in Hollywood, the best movies are shot by the best producers and the best actors in the world. So like, it's interesting that business is still a little bit behind in this world of like, Hey, what we put into our people is likely going to be what we get off the back end of it. So I love that that's kind of, you guys saw an opportunity for that. And you started building solutions around it. Um, what are some of like the, before we dive into the pillars, what are some of like uh, the specific specialty sets that you guys really kind of get into? Talk about some of the services or some of the uh, the typical engagements that you're working with your with your clients today at for. Yeah, so we have um, the spectrum of things that we do usually. So the core is still our learning programs. So there's really hands-on scenario-based uh, learning um experiences we want to call them like that uh, or boot camps it's around eight weeks long four hours a week with life coach uh but the formats again can be designed in a way that customer feels the most comfortable with awesome and nice. uh, it's always contextual learning so those uh, programs are in for example service design ux management digital product management um customer experience strategy and customer science and why i'm uh, saying context and scenario based is because um you literally can go 
in the toolbox.com or whatever website and you will get many different tools and practices how do, to do something, right? But yeah. what we try to teach is to understand, okay, what is my context and how do I uh, choose something that will fit my context? How do I adjust the tool or approach that fits my context? How do I critically look at that and how do I build my confidence as a professional to do those things? And that's why we always teach through context. So it's either client's context or we simulate the context through scenario. And then the other spectrum of our services is basically learning design as a service. So yeah. we're looking, uh, as we are teaching customer experience disciplines, we, we're learning from them ourselves, right? So how yeah. to design yeah. the experience, how to design, how to look at our learner as a customer <laughs> For example, where does the journey actually starts? Where does the journey actually ends? What is the true true outcome of the learning experience? Uh, all these things we take from our teachings and applying in our practice as well. So we help organizations as well to um, build these learning experiences that really will work for their employees or customers. We also do customer education um, sometimes. So yeah, so that is kind of, the spectrum that we do. So we have like these programs that can be a bit customized, but mainly are standardized. And then we have this custom element, consultancy element around learning design and capability building. Very cool. Very cool. I guess I think um, you just said something that I, I couldn't agree with more. We see the same type of thing at CXC with some of our client work, but like there's some type of magic that happens or like there's this like compound learning that happens when Okay, so like when you're when you're working at a large organization and maybe you have a big CX or CS or UX or you know UI type of team that you're thinking about, but when you're working at the same business without an external point of view, it's very very common for some 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 insularity to begin, right? Like where there's insular thinking or insular thoughts, or because you're kind of looking at it with your internal team, you miss things that maybe are right in front of you because you're kind of looking at the paper really close. Um, one of the things that I love about some of the stuff that you guys are doing at Made For, and I think for some of our listeners to think about is when you're doing like your pros and your cons and getting some, some type of external support or a third party to come in and help. It's what Agnes said here, guys, where when you get to work with 10, 20, 50, 100 different companies and see how maybe 100 different teams have been built or 100 different tech stacks have been built or how 100 different playbooks have been built or how 100 different ways of you know, collecting and leveraging and acting upon customer feedback, that's a game game changer. There's almost like compound learning benefit that happens where then number one, you can kind of quickly see where the opportunities are. But number two, you start to, every client shows you a different like string that you can pull that shows different possibilities, right? Whether that's different ways of formatting the team or different different tools to invest. So I, I love that that's something that you guys are getting to build. And as, as a as someone who thinks about the space on a, on a daily basis, it's definitely got to be fun for you and your team to really kind of dig in in every single account or every single new customer that you're working with. It's almost like building upon each other. So um, Agnes, and I'd love to dive into the, the first pillar of team. Um, talk about the team that you're building at, at Made For. I'd love to understand sort of how you guys have gone about building out the folks that are doing this awesome work. And then talk about like um, some of the different types of teams that y'all are are working with uh, with your with your clients today. So. Um... So in learning business, I think it's always a bit tricky uh, because you end up working with the freelancer freelancer network uh, in one point. Uh, you have, of course, some coaches and you have some uh, in-house team, but you will also have this extended team. And that's, again, is very interesting from customer experience perspective because you need to build uh, the experience for coaches to be loyal to you, 
to make sure that they represent your business interests in the best possible way, um, that they actually think along with you, uh, that is not transactional. Because when you learn and when you uh, teach something to people, um, there has to be a level of heart and level of dedication and enthusiasm and energy in. Otherwise, it's just very plain and it won't work, in my view. <laughs> so. So we have um, set a certain standard how we want to teach, right? So, and we we are we have been learning a lot how to make sure that everyone who is our coach and everyone who is interacting with us um, meets that standard. And it's not only about the professional credentials, but it's really about that energy, that care, uh, and care not only about people during the course, but also at the outcomes that people achieve in their learning, because that's something is very complex in education to kind of understand how to measure effectiveness of it, how to actually make the right uh, connections and uh, connect the right uh, dots, basically. And then um, for our um, customer teams, that's again, is a interesting, um, interesting point because when you work with uh, teams uh, in a kind of longer periods of time, you get quite close actually through learning experience because people, uh, are vulnerable and people are open in learning context because first of all, they have made that step when they have said, okay, I actually want to learn something. I want to improve something. And then the second part is um, that they have that opportunity within their own teams to discuss or have the conversations that they usually don't have and to facilitate that in the right way that the, the outcome is still achieved and that you still drive that outcome, learning outcome, rather than as well, let them <laughs> vent or or be in their own bubble, how to make sure that that bubble a little bit bursts and, and give them the broader perspective. And you talked about um, how that it might, might be exciting to tap into various teams around the customers and then kind of understand how people think and what works, what doesn't work. And, and Literally, we were talking with our team all the time that we are bursting our own bubble because the more you live in your own world, the more you read about it, you feel like there are so many assumptions starts to become and yep. uh, kind of you you just like really sometimes lose sense of different world, you know, and then Definitely. we go into the industry where customer experience maybe is not so mature, but they really are keen and really want to to develop and we need to make sure that that we understand that world in the best possible way before yeah. we can do any learning or anything like that totally and, yep. and that's and that's our kind of really motto to burst our own bubbles all the time <laughs> wait i i really <laughs> like i really like that idea of like you know you want to start making positive change positive impact you want to start pushing the needle you want to start pushing progress forward start bursting your own team's bubbles. I like that a lot. I'm going to borrow that because the reality is like, you know, many folks, again, and every team across the world is different. Every industry has different different team expectations around this stuff. But you're right. There's a rea the, the reality is most people don't really want to get into the bursting of the bubbles. You got to work with these people every damn day. You pick and choose your battles. It's just like any other relationship. But the reality is on the CX, the CS, the UX side, these are, these are teams and these are professionals that are literally being employed and tasked and asked to make sure that they're disrupting things, disrupting their own worlds, disrupting all the different things that are kind of going on within a customer journey, disrupting your own product. Like let's call it what it is. A lot of our listeners, they can think about this, Agnes. 
sometimes, especially depending on what type of company you're at, you can be the squeakiest wheel in the world. And it almost feels like, hey, are you on our side? Or are you like, like working for someone else? But the reality is if you're doing your job really, really great as a CX and a CS leader is you're thinking about the customer. You're thinking about the user. You're definitely thinking about some of your internal users or internal builders who probably have the clearest thoughts or the clearest ideas or the clearest CTAs around sort of maybe what top three or top five or top 10 things can make the biggest bang for the buck. So I love this notion of like, like bursting each other's bubbles. And and, and I guess another way to think about it is just keeping your teams honest, right? It's being candid. It's keeping people honest. It's keeping people on track. And frankly, it's being um, comfortable with having some of the difficult conversations. And I know, I know what I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking right now, okay, pal, try saying that to my CEO because every company and every executive leadership team is a different thing. I totally understand that. Some folks work for executive leadership teams where it pontificates from the top and that's what it is and that's all you're ever going to get. So don't push back. Totally hear you, feel you. That might be um, you know, a signal that maybe you try to find another company if this stuff's important to you. But I think like, again, one of the things that we're seeing across the CX and the CS space is like great CX and CS leaders, they almost constantly act as that squeaky wheel, but they do it in a way where now, over time, it becomes sensible, but number two, they're leveraging user data. They're leveraging customer feedback data. They're leveraging account signals or account health or literally revenue revenue operations management where they're looking at which accounts are spending more, which accounts are spending less. And like, I think that's something that most of our CX and CS leaders, future CX and CS leaders, you got to be thinking about that as you kind of climb your ladder and you got to be thinking about how you're going to make friends and build stories so that people don't get sick of hearing the squeak wheel, but rather they want to give you the oil. They want to give you the ability to reduce that sound, reduce reduce that friction, reduce that rub, so you can keep building better products, better services, and iterate on it. Um, there, there's, Agnes, there's just, a, just to get a little yeah. bit of comment, because there is this notion, right, that everything that is coming new, a new system, new thing, new whatever, that we need to explore and be open about it. But we also need to have a notion of, or notion, no, no, I can't say the word. Uh, um, we have to have a respect also what has been done before. Totally. And there's, um, so if we talk about, let's let's say a bit more stubborn people or people who don't want to, you know, like open up to something new or try out things or be iterative or whatever we try to get them to do, um, it's also to respect that they have been always, not always, but lately, especially, um, kind of questioned. Uh, everything, what they do, what they have thought is questioned. And it's one thing is, is like, it can be in society level, it can be in a business context level, it can be in a board level, doesn't matter. But there is this kind of criticism towards, um, let's say, uh, previous generation. And we need to have a bit more respect, I think, towards what work has been done and how people have spent, I don't know, 10 years of building some system. And now they say, okay, this system sucks. You know, let's let's just do completely com something completely different. And then to expect that people will just let go their work of 10 years and say, yes, of course, yeah. it doesn't matter. It really is bad. <laughs> you can't expect to have that uh, easy transaction, transaction uh, into that. So when we think about change and we think about word disruption as well already is a negative connotation, right? But if we yep. think about change and we think about uh, way forward, I think there is some interesting balance that we could strive to hit with understanding the past and then bringing the future into it, you know, like rather than uh, being very radical or black and white. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And, and you're right. And I think a, a big part of like, even when, like when we started CX Chronicles, the a big part of why, why the name for me was like, at that point, I'd been a part of probably building out four or five different CX functions at, at, at these, these venture back growth companies in New York City. And there was almost like I understood the power of chronicling to be able to innovate and to be able to push forward because there, and you're right. And think about it, any culture in the world, any, any one of our, our of our countries, our cities, our, uh, you literally have to build upon history to be able to drive progress and to be able to innovate and to be able like to continue to push things in the future. So I, I love that notion. I think you're absolutely right. The other thing is this, there's something about most CX and CS professionals. We are, whether we realize it or not, we are the best, positioned group in most modern organizations to be able to chronologue uh and 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 and, and basically chronicle and collect and then essentially help spread the tribal knowledge across a business or customer base because frankly we're the ones that are kind of seeing all the different questions or the inbounds or the different possibilities for what our customers or users could be seeing both internally and externally that's another way where you see just so many different cx and csers being able to build upon month after month and quarter after quarter of feedback and of potential innovation pass forward. And, and it's really, I think why this is one of the, the one of the, the most fun places to be in a modern business organization. Um, Agnes, I'd love to jump into the second six pillar of tools. So as you, as you and the team have built made for, and as you've been able to work with all these incredible clients, um, you know, across the world, I'd love to hear you spend a couple of minutes kind of talking about what you guys have learned about um, how different, number one, how you've all built your own tech stack as you've grown your business. But number two, like I'd love to kind of hear, some of the things that you've sort of seen along your journey that some of your clients have done a really incredible job with when it comes to building out a tech stack that's going to set your company up for success. Spend a few minutes talking about tools. Hey, it's a, such a big topic, right? Um, so there's the technical tools. There are also just, the, let's say, manual tools. <laughs> there's always <laughs> manual tools, definitely. <laughs> so for... Uh, for ourselves, uh, it's been always uh, research based on what our audience or what a customer needs um, in a way of how we would build our learning design in a way that it will work with that specific audience. And that will include the tooling that we use, because especially after COVID um, and after the whole kind of change in how people use their technology, how people um are used to learn and work um there are there's a lot a lot of challenges uh, towards learning design so for example um you don't go anymore in the classroom but you learn through zoom or any yeah. other tool you um um then you do hybrid versions and all that kind of thing right so there's plenty of ways how to do it so for us uh the tools mainly had to always deliver a certain outcome. And we were doing our best to try measuring if that outcome is there. And one of the things that we always measure after every single thing that we do is the confidence levels. And that's true mainly through surveying and interviews um, of our learners. Because confidence and learning is everything. So if you feel confident about what you learned and that you know how to apply it in your work, that's that's what is needed because you still have to continue learning anyway, right? So you can't yep. you can't expect that this is it. This my I learned and now I'm just gonna do. That's yep. not the reality of modern world, right? So you learn a process or you learn a tool, for example, 
and then you need to be confident to use it in your context for technical tooling well in all honesty like uh, education in general uh, to be measured uh, and gather the right data is really challenging uh, because the learner's journey is a very uh, small part of educational journey you know like so if you if you imagine any type of course any type of uh, program you will you will have some sort of pre 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 uh, awareness piece right so then you will be using program or or and then you will have the aftermath and the aftermath and learning is can be very very la uh, long and lasting and it can be sparking aha moments after five years still you know so yeah. to measure how, how effective is our product it's been always a combination of things and uh, it's always qualitative plus quantitative research that we have been doing okay and for customers well um like i'm not gonna go into really like how they measure their own customer experience i think that's not fully my uh my uh prof like professional <laughs> uh comfort zone however what i'm noticing is that uh understanding outcomes for the customer has been a big big um challenge for for our customers so instead instead of looking at outputs uh yep. for example how many people log in in our uh, e-commerce shop how many all that kind of stuff it's more about uh how you actually sense make uh out of that make sense out of uh these yep. activities and if uh your data is not misleading you so that's always been big big challenge also in our teachings we always try to for example it doesn't matter if your conversion is low but if the conversion per user is incredibly high and everyone is advocate and sharing everything on social and getting another three maybe conversions that are super like high in value, you yep. are better off than having 10 really low conversions. You know, all these kind of to really kind of make sure that you you know what you're looking for in yep. your tools and uh and information. So I don't know if that makes sense. Or no, you were 100%. looking no hundred <laughs> percent. No, that I think it's super helpful. And there's a couple of thoughts that you immediately make me think the first comment that you made about just like the ongoing learning and confidence level. Um I'll tell you right now, I know, you know, I think one of the biggest problems that CX and CS leaders and just generally customer focused business leaders uh, altogether have is that there's a, there's almost like this, this notion that, okay, we've got this problem, that problem, that problem. Okay, cool. These tools might give us all the solutions for it. So they think about problems and they immediately jump to like this tools based um, solution thinking. And what, 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 what I know that we've learned with all the customers that we've worked with CX Chronicles is like, number one, oftentimes you have folks that maybe aren't the best suited to understand sort of what the problems are and what potential solutions to those problems could be before you need a lick of technology involvement, right? Because when you joke about things, some things being manual, let's call it what it is. Sometimes like a, a manual hand hammer is always going to be more effective than the most powerful or the most expensive like auto hammer on the market, right? Like it is what it is. But the other big thing that we see is 
companies have no problem spending uh, half a million dollars a year on Salesforce or Zendesk or um, ServiceNow or any of the big guys. And all these tools are fantastic. I'm, I think some of those tools, if, if 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 leveraged appropriately, especially for enterprise clients, they literally keep the train on the tracks for big companies when it's done effectively, when you've got the right type of leadership and when you get the right coaching, training, support management, content to be able to keep your army of employees really, really engaged with that tool and understanding how to utilize it. Most growth companies and most companies that are you know, SMBs and mid-market, that's not typically the case. Oftentimes you see extremely low utilization rates for these very expensive tools. You oftentimes have extended leadership team that don't, they haven't themselves even been able to Get the training, get the coaching, get the certifications, right? There's a, like basically any any leading SaaS company out there, they have at least some form of a certification where you can at least go through the boot camp or, th- or through like the product-based knowledge camp and kind of get the 101. So at least to your point, you have some confidence around how to instruct a whole other team of humans, how to use that tool. But then the last piece is the data part that you talked about is like when, when companies talk about why they struggle to actually have like effective, actionable analytics across a customer journey, you've got 27 different tools. Your data is completely fragmented. Oftentimes, until you get to a certain point of a company's evolution or maturation, you don't have uh, e- either the 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 um, the VP of, uh, of data or the VP of analytics who can actually begin to aggregate and then start to cut off like different cuts of actual data, usable data views. And you're right. This is where, like, oftentimes, like, I think that there's there's not enough people out there that are uh, that really try to push founders and business owners and business executives to keep things simple. And then, and then the last thing is, I just think like we're entering a really interesting time right now globally with our market and with some of this recessive signals. And whether you agree with it or not, like, look at some of the biggest companies in the world. They've reduced their staff. They've 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 had to cut positions. I don't know about you, Agnes, but I know every single solitary one of my friends that's involved in software sales, things are a little bit harder right now so far out of the gates. And maybe that changes and maybe who knows, maybe we get to Q2, Q3, Q4 and beyond and all of a sudden things start bumping again. But I think that this notion of like keeping things simple and keeping things uh, calculated with your tech is like such incredible advice. And for our listeners, um, it, it, it take take a minute today to kind of think about what your utilization rates are within your existing tech stack. And then take a minute to think about what are you actually doing with your team to be able to help them understand how they can leverage these tools better, right? Because if you're not able to do either one of those things, start thinking about which tools you can get rid of. Any type of utilization rates that are low to non-use, get rid of them. Simplify things. Go from 17 tools to 10 tools. I guarantee your entire team will feel much, much better. And then it's there's the money. There's the cost savings, the economics piece of it too, where you're also theoretically making your business a little bit more lean. Um, so all, all awesome ideas there. Just a kind of a little comment, like a tiny one, like, you know, like for the software, especially like you have trial periods and the bigger the company, the bigger the trial periods you can get. Yep. And uh, what I really believe that, and that is coming from my previous kind of corporate experience was that, you know, you've, you have like a first conversation with software provider and then you like, okay, yeah, thanks for trial period, but there is no team in place that actually will take Take that trial and properly play around with it and and yep. do a proper trial and what happens is the trial period ends and then you feel like oh you know like it's our fault that we didn't uh, you know <laughs> set up yeah, yeah. the team in a way to actually leverage that trial okay let's let's go with it and then let's pay i don't know whatever the first payment term is right and you get locked in already so i think yep. that's that's something what i've noticed a lot uh in kind of tooling selection that people actually don't take the time 
to trial things and understand if that is again uh, working in their context, if they have a confident team in place to work with the tool, and if they don't have any of those components, let's maybe postpone and let's work in Excel totally. or whatever you're using. percent yep. Let's uh, talk to customers manually or have a couple of interviews and do qualitative insights for a while. <laughs> so all that can be uh, differently um, solved for a while if you don't have that team in place to actually run um, and work with the software. It, it, it completely agree. And again, you're right. It's almost like a different pro- part of the vetting process, which is just literally identifying what, with, by the way, without the, uh, without some of these SaaS solution sales teams, by the way, internally, do you have the capacity, the resources and the expertise and the knowledge to even be able to think about implementation, integration, optimization, training, coaching, all that fun stuff. Um, Agnes, I'd love to dive into the third pillar of process. So, um, uh, as you've built the business and as you've worked with more and more of these clients, I'd love to, for you to spend a couple of minutes talking about like, what are some of the ways that you guys have been able to sort of wrangle process? I know a lot of, a lot of our guests like to, they give me the answer. They say, hey, we like to keep it entrepreneurial and we like to keep it like, like high level hands off. Like we like organically things to happen and that's fine. But I know with, with some of our guests that are coming from bigger companies, it's not possible. Once you get to thousands of employees, you got to have process. It's just what keeps the glue together on the pillars. Um, how do you think about process and how do you and the team have made for like, have y'all thought about sort of building your playbooks or building some of your, your operating procedures, or even just generally like keeping track of how you think about managing some of your clients processes so that you can fit within and, and start to actually inject on the learning and the coaching and some of the different knowledge uh, services you guys are providing. Spend, spend a minute or two talk, kind of talking about how you think about process. So um, customer experience is a new new field, as you know, right? So it develops literally daily. There's new insight daily. There's new uh, book out daily. <laughs> um, so, so when we, let's say, built our course, uh, I think that's probably for us the most process-heavy uh, exercise in the, in the team. So to make sure that, it's up to date that the cases are current, that we don't have any outdated information, you know, like situations like analyzing a case study. And then this morning, there's the this lawsuit about the company and the company is going down or, or something happens and we need to make sure that these type of uh, situations are avoided that we don't have any like outdated information that the newest um, practices are implemented in our learning. And for that, we have quite rigid process. So we have it, uh, initially we were finding it and, and designing it as we go, but we actually approach it as a design process. So how we how are we gonna make sure that uh, the information is always up to date and how we're gonna protect that information. That's governance and, and uh, kind of um copyright piece as well on that so that's that's something we spent quite a lot time and effort and um yeah happy also to talk with learning designers i think that's very interesting in general to discuss how you make sure that your curriculum is updated yesterday i spoke to someone in my network who comes from traditional university and she said like okay like in order for me to get the program approved uh, it takes at least two years to get accreditation wow. and approval. 
for me to run. For example, imagine if you would want to run a, a course in university about artificial intelligence. Yep. <laughs> the one that yep. you proved years ago. It's, it's, it's not valuable. Totally anymore, different you know? content, totally different <laughs> ideas, totally different best practices. That's crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So, and that's what university's life look like. So that's uh, as a private learning organization, I think we are really fortunate that we can have much quicker process, obviously. And uh, with every delivery, we do the review of our content with every single delivery. So we never just, you know, okay, here's the deck, just go and deliver. So we always will have a review sessions and all that. And it's very kind of rigid and, and uh, organized. Um, that is our also quality of course control. That's, you know, like how we, yeah, how we make sure that we can go out to the world and to six chronicles and say, yes, we know <laughs> that our content is good and, and valid, you know, like that's, that's everything ties into it for the customers. It's interesting because, um, uh, we, especially if we work with simulation and simulation is a process, a system right so what we're presenting and that people have to learn within that context and of course everyone comes from their own uh situation their own business and then for them to kind of question their own process and also the stimulation process and then compare with the, uh, compare the notes that's very very interesting as well to watch and you mentioned something around um people having that distance when they learn, for example, through scenarios, so that you, um, you're not so much into your own, that your paper is not too close to your, your face, right? Yeah, yeah, right, um, right. So that's the same, I think, with process. So through learning, you can get that process challenged and think like, oh, but we have all these kind of legacy systems, whatever, or we have something else there, or we have five other stakeholders that we need to involve. And then you start to really question, is that the right process and maybe there's a better way or maybe better moment um to add or remove the steps and that's that's really uh, rewarding for us of course to see i love it i think it's again it's uh, every every business owner and every leadership team is going to have a different appetite and a different preference for this stuff but the bottom line agnes a couple of thoughts that, that you said that i think are just so important for our listeners to take away from today's show is like um it can be it can be overly complex. It can be super simple. Just have something, have a basic view and a basic set on how your team is thinking about wrangling process. The other thing that you mentioned that I could not agree with more, regardless if you have the most complex and crazy type of process, or or literally you've got like your process on the back of a napkin with a with a pencil, do some type of control and monitoring. Do some type of regular review um, or audit because you do need to make sure that what these businesses just change so quick, right? I love your thought of like, like things happen. So your AI example, like two years from now, it's going to be a completely different science, a completely different thing, a completely different thought. Every business is that way. So like taking time once a month, once a quarter, minimally once a year to look at those processes and do some controlling, some monitoring, updating, easiest way for our, for our listeners to really kind of think about how they can do do better with their with their business, and their team today. Um, Agnes, I'd love to dive into the fourth and final pillar of feedback. So um talk talk for a minute or two about how you and the team have made for are collecting and leveraging and acting upon your customer feedback and then i'd love for you to spend a bit of time to talk about how you and your team also share feedback as you're working with different clients or as you're doing different types of training sessions or as you're doing different learning modules 
how do you guys kind of think about how you can sort of leverage the feedback component of, of growing your business? That's my one of my favorite parts because it's been always the most challenging for me. So um, um, we all talk about feedback and receiving feedback with grace and, you know, like as a learning opportunity. And I, I am like that. I really want to hear always the truth and feedback and everything. However, when you hear it, it's not always a simple thing to to uh, take, basically. <laughs> that's that's very true. Very true. And I think a lot of people experience similar similar thing, right? So if you work very hard on something and and it doesn't doesn't land, and you get constructive feedback, and you even understand where where it's coming from, uh, it still takes you extra energy to um, figure out what to do with that, and 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 deal with that emotional component of it so for the but for the like a more kind of practical so we we gather feedback constantly we gather we do um, our learner interviews we do um, potential customer interviews we even uh, sometimes interview people where we haven't won, uh, won the bid uh, so why we haven't won the bid like what what uh, what made their decisions so recently we just had a uh, experience with the potential customer who said like the outcome was not clearly communicated in proposal and we were like really like it feels like so, <laughs> so such a um vague piece and like a bit like um challenging one and then we we really uh deep dived into it and try to understand like can we learn something from it so that's constant process and of course for the learning um itself and the content that's just a regular thing that's much easier to process. But um, one thing I wanted to maybe share that I really feel proud of is that Made4 is part of the Customer Bureau. It's our kind of venture platform business. And we have a couple of other counter, uh, companies and ventures within that. In total, we are around 60 people and we really act and feel like the same family. And we have established a couple of interesting um yeah processes that encourage the feedback culture so one of them is we call them uh peer mentoring sessions where you literally have a short meeting with everyone in your team um and you share like on a regular basis not only after the project or before project or something like that but on a regular basis with everyone you have a short session where you say what I really liked about your work, um, what how it made me feel, and what I want to see more maybe of you. And like there's a the whole structure, and we have a bit of a prescribed way how to do it, so people are not confused. But people really find it really incredible because that gives you an opportunity to talk to anyone in a company, also to very senior people, and share what you actually think uh, in a very um, safe space right? Because it's okay, we're coming into this session, we know what's going to happen. So you're more open, you're more calm. Um, and then we have, um, uh, from kind of feedback perspective as well, uh, we call that investor network, where we have, <coughs> apologies, uh, internally, um, you have your investor, usually it's a bit more senior person than you, uh, who is your basically sounding board um, for every kind of professional and personal development actually and uh 
they are not usually your manager. They should not be your manager, but they will help you to kind of listen where you at, uh, what happened in the projects, maybe to have like the outsider's perspective. And that's how you can uh, develop in a more kind of, yeah, a bit more con uh, constructive way. And the last thing we call it pitch parties. We have it once a year where everyone is sharing their personal development journey in the last year. And people can ask questions and comment on on that openly in the office. Like it's almost like a it's made as a party. We have snacks and everything, and everyone is pitching basically their year. And it's all very positive. This again gives that opportunity for people to kind of share the experience and learn from others and, and how to handle situations. I love it. Those are awesome ideas right there. And again, it's just like, man, one of the, again, it's like even the creativity there, right? Having different types of ways of doing it. You, Yeah, you have some of the traditional stuff, but like the pitch party and some of the other ideas. Get creative with this stuff, guys, right? There's a million different ways that you could solicit your customer and your employee feedback. I think the bottom line is most people, most humans, most normal humans, they just want to, they want to be heard. They want to be able to have an opportunity to voice their opinions, voice their feedback, frustrations or the good stuff obviously lots of customers if you poke them on it they'll be thrilled to share the good stuff about why they love your product or love your love your service but the bottom line is like take action on it and make sure that you're doing some version of collecting on the feedback and then i think every business and every cx and cs leaders certainly you get better over time at thinking about how to work it and how to act upon it and how to sort of leverage it so agnes i absolutely love it this was uh, some fantastic ideas before i let you go where can people get in touch with you and where can people learn more about made for so yes, our website uh, madeforcx.com is always there. Um, we have all the possible ways of communication, phone, email, chat, <laughs> all the good stuff. Uh, but uh, also, please ever, I'm a very active LinkedIn user, so you can always uh, write me direct messages on LinkedIn. Uh, so happy to, uh, to jump on the calls and conversations. I'm really keen on networking. I love it. Well, Agnes, thank you so much for joining the CX Chronicles podcast. I'm looking forward to us continuing this conversation um, into the future and best of luck to you and the team at May 4 and uh, re really love some of the ideas you shared with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really, really lovely. And thank you for being so enthusiastic and and energetic about, about their field and bringing the kind of word further. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Agnes. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the CX Chronicles podcast. We're thrilled to have you as a part of the CX Nation, tuning in to customer-focused business leaders from across the world. Be sure to check out the CXC website, and as always, find us on any of your favorite podcast players, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks so much for making this show a reality and being a part of the CX Nation. And as always, folks, remember to make happiness a habit.